0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, where we are going to look at the Great Commission. This is one of the most clear, direct, and specific commands that Jesus gave his followers as to what he expected of them. But not only do these verses answer the what does Jesus expect of his followers question, it also gives instruction as to the how we're supposed to do it. You know, so what are we supposed to do? Okay, well now we know what, but what does the how look like? Jesus gives us instructions for that. In our church, we, we summarize this mission statement from the Great Commission by saying that we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that that is our mission, the way we rephrase uh, the Great Commission. Uh, methodologically, how we do that say, in making disciples, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, is we seek to try and build four things. We call these core values into the the lives of every person who's a part of the work at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Those values are worshiping God personally, walking uh, with other believers, working for God's kingdom, and witnessing as a way of life. And we seek to try and help every person who's a part of our, our membership and a part of this body in the ministry that takes place regularly do those things because we think those four things are some of the key identifying marks from Scripture that help us be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're going to wind up drilling down a little bit on that second value, the value of walking with other believers. And I need to begin this morning by making an apology because I've committed a cardinal sin as a communicator a few weeks ago. As part of the radical challenge where I've kind of been calling us to different things, I challenged you to do something a few weeks ago, and I assumed you knew what I was talking about. Well, in some subsequent conversations, it was revealed to me, and I began to discern that... Well, not everybody understood that terminology and the word that I was using and I was like, I know better than that You always got to make sure everybody understands and so I want to clarify that this morning And i'm thankful that god has brought us in his timing back through uh, this topic and this issue so I can do that But first let's get to this morning's passage matthew chapter 28 and I hope these verses are highlighted in your bible If not, I would encourage you to do so these are these are central uh, to our faith, uh, they contain rich truth and they convey fundamental fundamental. fundamental, non-negotiable doctrines of our faith and who we are to be as Jesus followers, namely in the area of evangelism and discipleship. In chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an important place to start the Great Commission because we need to recognize that God gave Jesus the authority over all of his followers. Therefore, he can tell us what to do. He can give us very specific commands and expect that we will obey those commands because he has God's authority to be able to tell us what we are to do. And he does give a very clear command starting in verse 19. He says, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples.'" In five words, as only Jesus can do, he sums up his expectation for his followers. Go, which is evangelism, sharing the gospel. And when people give their hearts and their lives to him in response to the gospel, make disciples. Go and make disciples, evangelism and discipleship in five words. And the word go uh, there in verse 19 in the Greek language is in the present Active tense. What that means is right here, right now, and it's actively involved and engaged in. So you could rightly translate that as, as you are going, make disciples. So Jesus is saying, as you go about your normal, everyday life, when you are doing what you do, whatever it is that you do, make disciples. And again, making disciples assumes that people have heard the gospel and have responded and given their heart and their lives To Jesus Christ. And we do that by admitting our sin, that we've disobeyed uh, God's law, by believing that Jesus died on a cross for us, as we just remembered in the Lord's Supper, and then inviting Christ into our life to forgive us of our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life. And then there's a very important aspect that we do that is, that we make Christ not just our Savior who saves us from being separated from God for eternity, but we allow Jesus Christ, we make Him the Lord of our life. That means the one who is in control. We surrender, we submit ourselves to the authority of Christ so that when He calls us to a task, when He speaks to us, that we will be obedient in following His will and His plan for our lives. Now, Jesus knew human beings, and He knew how we would think and how we would operate, and He can just anticipate saying, Go and make disciples. And one of those disciples that was with him raised their hand going, Well, Jesus, how do we make disciples? I mean, would we not ask that question? You know, just kind of figure which disciple. Probably would be Peter. You know, he kind of jumped out there, would would say that. But how do we make disciples? Well, before anyone could even ask the question, Jesus tells us a methodology, what we should do in making disciples who follow obediently after him. He says in the next part of verse 19, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second thing, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus identifies baptism as a first step of obedience in being one of his disciples, And now, many people mistakenly believe that if you are baptized, that means you are saved. You go to heaven because you've been baptized. And because Baptists celebrate, and and the word Baptist is in our name of who we are as a church and and what we believe corporately, they mistakenly believe that Baptists think when you are baptized, then you go to heaven. Baptism is what uh, gives you and brings the gift of eternal life to your life. But that is wrong. That is not true. And do you know why that's not true? Because it's not what the Bible says. Okay, the Bible says that we are saved by grace, that is a good gift from God, through faith in Jesus Christ only. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ only, not through baptism. A person can be baptized but have never professed and confessed faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what they got when they got baptized? Wet. That's all they got, because if they have never given their heart and their life to Jesus Christ and expressed saving faith in him, they're not saved. They haven't received the gift of eternal life and the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. And the flip side of that coin is true as well. A person can be saved Not baptized and still go to heaven because it's about faith in Christ, not the act of baptism. The thief on the cross is the perfect example of that. He said as he hung on the cross to Jesus, believing that he was innocent, that he was God's son who he claimed to be. He said, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to that thief? Today you will be with me in paradise. So he exercised saving faith in Christ who was dying right next to him, was not baptized, but Jesus promised you will be with me today in paradise. And so we cannot say that we need to have faith in Jesus and anything. It's not faith in Jesus and baptism. It's not faith in Jesus and speaking in tongues or faith in Jesus and a particular spiritual gift or faith in Jesus and anything. No, it is faith in Jesus Christ only. And if anyone tells you and begins to teach you that it's faith in Jesus and something else that gives you salvation, run for us, run. All right, because it's not true. It is a lie that's not from the pages of scripture. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves us. But let me say, baptism is important. Baptism is an important step for disciples of Jesus Christ. Here Jesus tells us it is the first step of obedience uh, of following after him. And think about Here's why that's important. Baptism symbolizes to the world we identify with Christ that we have died to our old self. You know, we're supposed to die to our flesh and our sin nature, which pulls us away from God. So going into the baptismal waters symbolizes dying to our old self just as Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and was what? He was placed into a tomb. But after three days, what happened? Jesus was resurrected into new life. And so coming out of the water symbolizes new birth, being born again in the new life that Jesus Christ has promised for all those who believe in him through faith. And the baptismal waters themselves symbolize the blood of Jesus. We talked about the blood of Jesus forgiving us of our sins. And so the water washing over is a symbol of being cleansed and forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we Baptist practice baptism by immersion. We call it full immersion. That means you go all the way into the water and then you come up out of the water. And why do we do that? We do that because of the example that Jesus set for us. Jesus had no need to be baptized to symbolize dying to his sin and being resurrected to new life. He had no sin. But Jesus set that example that we would follow the example. And the Bible says that Jesus came up out of the water. So if he came up out of, where had he been before? Down in. Okay, I mean that's so that's why we practice that particular mode of baptism, along with the idea that the symbolism that's conveyed of dying to old self, being resurrected to new life, washing over of the blood, and other modes and forms of baptism do not convey the same symbolism that Christ commanded us in being baptized. And baptism was one of those things that depending on which professor you had in college or seminary, they didn't really teach you coming out of school. I never got to go, although some guys got to go and they would baptize each other in their seminary classes. I didn't do that. And it's one of those things that I'll never forget. The very first guy that I baptized when I was was on church staff in Kentucky was a young man in our student ministry. And, you know, you watch like communion or you watch baptism, you've seen it so many years of your life and you think, oh, that's pretty simple. And then there's that day where you're supposed to do it. You're like, oh, how do I do this? You know, what do I say? When do I say it? How do I stand? And all this kind of stuff. And I remember all those nerves and those sensations the, the day that I baptized this first young man. And I very distinctly remember baptizing this young man and seeing that the crown of his head right here in the back and a few sprigs of hair didn't get all the way under the water. And I kind of thought to myself, huh, I wonder if that counts because he's not fully immersed. (laughs) And I kind of played, you know, just, uh, you know, it was fine. We went on. Well, the next day, our pastor gets a call from Miss Minnie. Miss Minnie was our uh, 85-year-old church organist. Had been there for a long time. She called and said, that Curtis, that youth pastor of ours, he said, is he, is he ordained to the gospel ministry? Is he licensed and, and know what it means to be a pastor and how to do pastor things? And, and he's like, well, of course he does, Miss Minnie, and talked to me. He told me that, and I was like, why did Miss Minnie say that? Well, you all, it was literally six months later, six months later, I was baptizing someone, and I remember taking them into the baptistry water and bringing them up out of it, and it hit me that the reason she called and the reason I saw the back of this kid's hair was because I baptized the wrong way. I was so nervous that day. When it came time for baptism, I just shoved him forward like this. That's why I saw the top of his head. Because think, when you normally see, you go backward and then come back up. And I was so nervous. I was like, you You know, like that. And I didn't realize it for months. I was like, yeah, that's why Miss Minnie called and said, does that young man know what he's doing? You know, so uh, it was amazing. I was like, oh, yeah. And so, but that's what we practice baptism by immersion for for that reason, for that purpose that Jesus set the example. But, but, uh, But another component of baptism is that it demonstrates for us a step of obedience. It's where Jesus said to us, you're one of my followers, be baptized. And we say, yes, Lord. I'll follow in baptism. So that n- the next day, the next week, the next month, when Jesus calls us to something, the pattern and the direction of our life is to say, yes, Lord, you've called me. I'm going to step out in obedience. And whatever those those steps are, we take step after step after step in obedience to Jesus Christ. And so it, it's, it's a pattern for our lives But the final component that's so very important in this discipleship process is that when we are baptized, we identify with Jesus and with every other person who has given his or her heart and life to Jesus Christ, we become part of a family the family of God with brothers and sisters in Christ, we identify with them and say, we are here, we are together uh, in unity, in faith in Jesus Christ. He is the bond that draws us together. And as we're drawn together after baptism, Jesus said, what's the next step in discipleship? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And here's what I fear we've done in the modern church so often. We've taken this command about teaching and we go, oh, it's about information. We live in the information age. You know, you want to know something, go to the library, go to the internet, you know, call, do whatever you want. We find information. So we've taken discipleship to be, if I can give you information, if I can teach you about the Bible, if I can give you tools, I can give you knowledge. If you memorize the certain body of information, then you're a disciple of Jesus Christ because you have knowledge and information and being a disciple of Jesus, there is knowledge, there is information that we want to impart, things that we learn from God, things we learn about the Bible. But if we teach people everything about the Gospels, they memorize the Gospels, that they know the tenets and the truths of the faith, are we being true to the great commission and to Jesus' commands of teaching all that I've commanded you? Well, the answer is No. Because I just left out two very important words. Jesus didn't say, teach them everything I've commanded you. He said, teaching them what? To observe or to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, that's a horse of a different color, is it not? It's one thing to know something. It's a whole separate thing to actually be able to do and to put that into practice. And as we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't just teach his disciples. It wasn't about knowledge and information although they got they gained knowledge they gathered information from jesus but what did jesus call the disciples to do come follow me and they got the lessons but more importantly they saw his life they saw his spirit they saw how he handled himself they got to ask questions on the job doing ministry down in the trenches with jesus and that's where they learned and then Jesus took and he told those 12 disciples uh, to go a- and to train others. And after he was gone, those disciples did go and they led people to Christ and they began to train them. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were lo- looking in the book of Acts and we talked about how it says the disciples were turning the world upside down for Christ. And they were making this, they were making huge waves for the sake of the kingdom. And the people came and investigated their religious leaders and said, how are they doing this? What, what, what's making these men so special? And do you remember their, their, um, the discovery, their, the answer to their investigation, it was they discovered that they were ordinary, unschooled men who had what? Who had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and that's what had made the difference in their lives. And so I said I needed to apologize for not clearly communicating a couple of weeks ago, and here's what I did. I challenged you I, as part of the radical challenge. I said find and submit to an accountability partner, and I assumed that everybody knew what I was talking about. Well, in subsequent conversations discovered that wasn't the case, so I want to elaborate a little bit this morning on this issue of, of, of discipleship and thinking along the lines of partnering with other people to grow to be the disciples that Jesus wants us to be. When you invest in biblical community, when, you, when you're a part of a fellowship with other believers, you invite those people into your life to help encourage and motivate and lift you up spiritually and to help spur you on to, to be more like Christ in your relationship and your walk with him. Now, in our church, the, the, the baseline, the introductory level to uh, fellowship and discipleship in smaller groups are through Sunday school classes and a couple of small home groups, that, uh, small groups that meet in homes that we have. But if you wanted to go to a deeper level, even beyond a Sunday school or a small group format, it, it's finding and submitting yourself in a relationship to an accountability partner. And this is a person that you know and trust who partners with you to help you grow spiritually and they may help you grow in some other areas, but the primary focus is on growing in your walk with Christ. Two things about an accountability partner. One is you wanna make sure it's someone that you trust because you need to be honest open and transparent with this person so they need to be able to you need to be able to trust them with things that you'll share about your your life and your struggles and and things that you're dealing with you want to be a trustworthy person secondly you want it to some to be someone uh, who loves you enough to be able to speak the truth you need to hear maybe not that you want to hear but the truth that you need to hear And so this idea is having somebody who will come alongside you and help you put into practice Jesus' command to observe all that he has commanded, to help us do what it is that Jesus has has commanded. And so some people, you know, maybe the term accountability partner sounds, you know, rigid or something like that. So maybe you call this person your discipleship partner. Jesus has called me to be a disciple, and I've got a friend, someone who loves and cares for me enough to come alongside and help me be a devoted, a growing follower uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. And so really what I wanted to do this morning, I just want to take a minute and describe what this has looked like in my own life. Maybe that's the best way I can kind of help you just understand a little bit of the concept and then I'm just praying that God will take and will lead you and that you'll step out in faith and obedience and God will just take it and, and help help you see what it should look like in your life. When I was saved at the age of nine, at uh, my, my home church in Kentucky, no one discipled me. They basically gave me a survival kit. Said, here you go, kid, come to church, come to Sunday school, you'll be good. You know, I was like, all right, you know, and so that, that was about it. But when I got to college, a campus minister took a group of guys, and he invested himself in us, and he got us together, and he walked us through Personal, relational discipleship. And he gathered these guys together. He talked to us about spiritual growth, about Jesus' command to be a disciple. We talked about spiritual disciplines. I'd never heard anyone speak of what spiritual disciplines are, what it means to, to fast and, and to pray for more than just your meal that it's doing or, or prayer at the end of the night. And we talked about these things for several weeks. And he said, I want you guys to pray about it. And if you would like to continue on and, and come to the real practical level and go to the next level of, of deepening your walk with Christ and your relationship with the guys in this room come back next Tuesday night and we'll get started. So I prayed about it and felt like the Lord was in it. And so a group of us guys that felt the same way, we got together, we had heard these things. And what we did was we sat and we literally wrote out goals that we felt God was laying upon our heart. They wasn't the same for each person. Uh, Some, it was for Bible study to be more consistent. For others, it was more in a prayer journey. For some, it was fasting. I think most of us committed to memorizing scripture and hiding God's word in our heart each week. And then as we would see one another throughout the week, we would say, hey, how's your going? Because we wrote down our goals and we were praying for these things for one another. We'd say, hey, what's God showing you in your quiet time? You know, what prayers is God answering? What, what's, your, what's your scripture memory verse for this week? And we just shared these things in our lives. But beyond that, we did things together. We went to the gym, we went out to eat, we played sports together, we went on mission trips through the college, we, we did summer mission activities. And in these things, we're just sharing our lives. Hey, you know, what's God showing you in this? And you know, man, I'm really struggling here. Help, help give me some ideas I, I don't know what to do here what do you what do you think we should do so we'd pray and we'd encourage one another in that and and it was that that mutual relationship of being together and investing our lives with one another and as i describe this i i so fear that people are going to hear it and go man that that's legalistic that's too rigid and you know who, who wants to do that? the bible is about grace and mercy and freedom and all that and yeah it's freedom from sin and it's grace and mercy that we receive it but you know what I've never in experiencing discipling relationships felt that it's been legalistic and rigid. And you know why? Because that's never been the heart of the people that are involved. Our heart and our spirit is not that way. But the second thing is, you know what? I want that. I'm the one that invites these individuals to speak into my life. And I look for them to to, to ask the questions and do these things. So it's not like somebody's forcing me to do something I don't want to do. I'm the one that says, hey, here's what I need to do. Just help make sure I'm following through in these areas. And so, that I mean, that's discipleship, living and experiencing biblical community and doing life together with a brother or sister in Christ who's helping spur you along. And with my current accountability partner, I sat down as we're, you know, we're going through this and I've given, I said, Hey, I want to make sure I'm reading, reading and studying my Bible at least five days a week. And yeah, it needs to be seven days a week. I don't always make that mark. And some weeks I'm doing well to get to five days a week. And so I said, Hey, I want you to ask me about that. I'm trying to spend at least 30 minutes a day in prayer, five days a week. And so I said, Hey, how's it going? How are you praying? You know, did you get to spend time in prayer this morning? Are you going to do it tonight? When are you going to do that? I said, you know what? I really need to be uh, a spiritual leader in my home as all men should be. So I want you to make sure and ask me if I'm praying with my wife and if we're having couple devotions and if I'm doing that with my children as well. And so my accountability partner is asking me about these things because I've said, I want that investment. And it was so wonderful as we were talking about our marriage relationships and being godly husbands said, Hey, you know what? I need to do that too. So why don't we arrange a childcare situation? One Tuesday night, you guys come drop your kids off at my house and and go on a date night. The next week, you guys keep our kids. We'll go on a date night. So now we're doing two date nights a week, time with our spouses to invest in our marriage relationship. And it's wonderful uh, just how God is helping, you know, spur us along in these things my accountability partner gets my uh, Covenant Eyes report. Covenant Eyes is a program I have on my computer that monitors and tracks where where I go on the the internet. If there are sites that are kind of risque or they get a ranking of may having inappropriate content for a number of different factors. He gets a report and he calls and says, hey, you know, this came up, what was going on there? It's like, well, I was on a page and there was a banner on the side. And so I just, I want to have that in my life of someone who's helping make sure that I'm not setting anything impure before my eyes. And we, we swap our smartphones and, you know, check history with that as well, because we, we, we're submitting to that level of accountability. This may look very different for you. I don't know what it may look like, but but it's what it means to live in community and to deeply invest your life in other people. And it's in these places that you both formally and informally learn how to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not outlining a, a methodology or anything. We do have an individual who approached me a few weeks ago as I shared about accountability partners, came and said, you know what, I've been discipled, I haven't been discipling anyone, and God's really laying on my heart that I need to do that. And so I, I say if there are some men here today who would like to be a part of about a four- to six-month uh, discipling uh, process with, with a gentleman in our church who's been discipled and wants to share that uh, with some other men. Catch me after the service, and I'd love to be able to make that connection and get you together uh, with this man who's wanting to invest his life in discipling and training other men in how to grow uh, in a relationship with Christ. And so this was Jesus' plan for taking the gospel to the world, to the nations. We saw, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And we saw that last week. It is a global call. And so, well, how do we do that? Jesus said, you invest, you train, you disciple other people who will in turn do that. And as a result, you will take the gospel. You will make an impact in the world for Jesus Christ.